am I seeing this right? Is Galactus destroying Saturn? He's not just flying by it. Really, I think he's destroying Saturn. And nobody notices. No one says anything. It's just, no more Saturn? When I reviewed Fantastic Four, I made the argument that it's basically a superhero sitcom with a big special effects budget. At times it was very entertaining, but it didn't tell much of a story. There are things I like about Rise of the Silver Surfer, and as always, I'm going to do my best to judge this on the merits of the film itself. But that's going to be hard with this one, because a lot of what was changed from the original Coming of Galactus story and Silver Surfer's origins are precisely the things that make the story overly simplistic and lacking in sense. So let me emphasize now that anything I feel the need to bring up in reference to the source material is something I think is a problem because it doesn't work within the story as it's presented here, not just that it's a problem because it deviates from what came before, i.e. Galactus is a giant cloud, which I'll delve into later. I think Rise of the Silver Surfer immediately feels like a better movie because there's more to its plot than the previous installment. That story could simply be summed up as, people get powers, people deal with powers. My problem with this movie is that I think it's too close to the formula of the first film, rather than really exploring the themes, ideas, and characterizations that should come from a cosmic being coming to eat the planet, Silver Surfer's arrival is very much in the background until the third act, and is exploited as a little more than a backdrop for more comedy scenes. Silver Surfer's arrival interrupts Sue and Reed's wedding. Johnny's encounter with the Surfer gives him a bizarre condition that makes him transfer powers with each of the four every time he touches one of them, which is played up as a running gag rather than a real dilemma. So the plot here could very much be summed up as Silver Surfer shows up and wreaks havoc while the Fantastic Four deal with family problems. It really feels to me like the Fantastic Four's domestic issues are the A story and Silver Surfer is the B story. And of course, Silver Surfer serving as the herald for a planet-eating entity because that entity has promised to spare his world and his wife is infinitely more interesting than Sue's constant irritation with Reed for putting saving the world over their personal lives. Wow, he's trying to stop the end of the world instead of focusing on their wedding. Where are his priorities? I do give Rise of the Silver Surfer a lot of credit for trying to use the best FF source material. The Coming of Galactus is certainly one of, if not the, most famous of the Fantastic Four stories, and has a lot of excellent screen potential. But the mistake seems to have been in assuming this material was too heavy for a general, kid-friendly audience. So rather than allowing it to be in the forefront, it's treated as that big global catastrophe that gives us an excuse for coming back and doing more fun, silly things with these silly characters. The first movie gave each character a definitive arc. Some of them were overly simplistic, and I felt that Reed and Sue's was too much of a typical romantic comedy arc, but at least they each started in one place and ended up in a different place by the end. They each had opportunities for change. The character arcs in this movie are, in some cases, all over the place, and in other cases, completely non-existent. I like to examine each of them one by one. We'll get Ben out of the way first, because he doesn't get a character arc. The movie treats him as one of the four who has made complete peace with his situation and has nothing left to learn. He's used for muscle, and he's used for jokes. He breaks through walls and punches things. He gets angry with Johnny for making fun of him, just like in the first film, like in a scene toward the beginning, when Johnny makes a crack about Alicia waking up one day being crushed in a rock slide. And he turns things around on Johnny later, touching him after he gets his power transfer condition and makes him look like the thing for a while. 
By the way, I don't know if these gags were funnier on the first viewing, but this time around, I found most of the jokes to be mildly amusing at best and annoyingly juvenile at worst. The first movie is definitely funnier to me, and maybe that's just because I wanted this one to get far away from the sitcom formula. Last thing about Ben, he's also irritatingly used to recap what little plot is here. When the four use the Fantasticar for the first time, and everyone knows how to fly it regardless of the fact that only Reed has ever seen it, and I was unaware that Sue was even a pilot, the Thing, in another scene that's supposed to be funny, says, let me get this straight, and proceeds to tell us everything that's going on. You know, just in case we're too stupid to grasp this complex and heavy material. I can enjoy a mindless popcorn flick to a point, but at least give your audience enough credit to expect them to follow the story. Reed and Sue's character arcs are intertwined. Reed is focused on his work, and she wants to settle down and have a family, which strikes me as a little too easy and maybe even a little sexist. Now, that's not to say that in our modern day there aren't still a lot of women for whom that's a priority, but the movie plays it up like it's a given. It feels to me like the only reason having children is a priority for her is because she's a woman. No other explanation is given. In the first movie, when she was working for Victor, she was a career woman. She seemed ambitious and independent. So I found this turn to be slightly offensive, and while she seemed somewhat superficial last movie, this time around she is entirely superficial. She does every stereotypically feminine thing that, for me, makes female characters unsympathetic. She gets angry at Reed and then takes it back, only to turn around and throw it back in his face again. She's manipulative and it's presented as comedy. We're supposed to laugh at Reed for being oblivious while his airheaded fiance, who once again shouldn't be airheaded because she's supposed to be a scientist, is conniving and controlling. Now maybe I'm reading too much into this. All of this is just here to be funny after all, so I shouldn't take its implications too seriously. But consider this scene. Johnny throws Reed a bachelor party in which he dances with two fully clothed women. He uses his stretchy powers to do some inventive moves, but he never touches the women inappropriately, never kisses them, nothing. Sue walks in on the party and immediately gets angry. She says this is going to be unfortunate for him. As they talk with the general, Sue gives Reed the cold shoulder. But later, she pretends to change her mind and says, I'm glad you had fun. Then she turns around and says, besides, it's nothing compared to what I did at my bachelorette party. Sometimes movies seem to pretend like all beautiful women are this way and men just have to put up with it. Men should let themselves be teased by the opposite sex because they should just feel lucky a girl who looks like Jessica Alba would even have them. Maybe this has always bothered me because my wife isn't jealous, manipulative, or vindictive. But all this makes me wonder what exactly this particular version of Reed sees in this particular version of Sue, besides what she looks like. There's a scene where Reed finally stands up to the general, and on the one hand, it's nice to see him gaining some confidence and asserting himself. But when he's giving the general a list of accomplishments that should entitle him to the general's respect, one of the items he lists is, I'm engaged to the hottest girl on the planet. The scene is further ruined after the speech when Sue says, I'm so hot for you right now. Is that the sole reason he's marrying her? You're telling me that's the only reason one of the finest minds on the planet can come up with for wanting to marry someone. I'm supposed to buy that Reed Richards is this shallow, and if they're both that shallow, why am I supposed to care about them? So Sue wants to break up the Fantastic Four to settle down and have a family, and even though he's constantly working, even though it doesn't even dawn on him he's getting married until an hour before the ceremony, which is a little bit I actually liked, Reed decided to make settling down and having a family a priority over saving the world. I have no problem with this, provided he makes this decision on his own. 
But the way Sue is portrayed, it's really hard for me not to think she's just conned or guilt-tripped him into making this decision. The bottom line is, you can't sacrifice good characterization for comedy. This isn't straight farce. We're not watching scary movie or superhero movie here. And that means I still want to care about the characters. Even Silver Surfer seems unintentionally superficial to me. What could have turned into a tender friendship between him and Sue is just another plot contrivance that does nothing to serve the characters. Even though he's preparing Earth for Galactus, he saves Sue. And she asks him why. He tells her that she reminds him of his wife, who is being spared by Galactus as long as Silver Surfer remains his herald. At the end, Silver Surfer ultimately decides to spare the Earth and destroy Galactus to do it. He's never been persuaded to do this before, despite helping Galactus eat several worlds. Surely he's taking a huge risk, one that, if he fails, could mean the destruction of his own planet to save the Earth. And why does he do it? Because Sue Storm inspired him. Because she reminds him of his wife. I know this is a silly summer blockbuster. I know Tim Story wants me to turn my brain off and just enjoy the wisecracks, the Fantasticar, the bright and pretty colors, and the admittedly really awesome chase scene with Silver Surfer and the Human Torch. I know I'm not supposed to care, but I can't help it. I do. I want to know what it is about Sue that reminds the Surfer of his wife, and I want it to be more than just she kind of looks like her. Wouldn't it have been nice to get a little flashback of the Surfer on his homeworld? We could have seen a little of his wife and maybe gotten some very profound parallel between her and Sue. Something concrete that would remind the surfer of his love for life. Perhaps there's a hobby they both share, a philosophy, or a worldview. Now, the surfer looks great. He looks very deep and contemplative. He obviously hates what he has to do for Galactus. He's treated as a very tragic character. And I know some fans don't care for Lawrence Fishburne's voice, but I think he does just fine. I think his CGI treatment is excellent. I like how he moves on the board. And the fact that I hate how little screen time he gets is a testament to how good of a job was done putting him on screen. But he spends too much tied up in an army bunker. There's too many headshots of him simply looking dramatic. And his motivations for saving Earth are vague and unexplored. He's ultimately a wasted opportunity, while at the same time being the best thing about the movie. And that brings me back to Reed and Sue and the resolution of their arc. At the very end of the film, they both decide, simultaneously, not to break up the team. They say that without the team, the world would have been destroyed, and they commit to making a family work while still keeping the band together, so to speak. This decision comes out of nowhere, and is obviously tacked on to give the semblance of story completion. Johnny and Ben were extremely upset when they found out Reed and Sue wanted to quit. You can't have your characters debate about something for half a movie, only to resolve it at the end as easily as flicking a switch besides the fact that there isn't really any logic to why they make this decision. First, the team didn't really save the world. Johnny used his condition to take all their powers and fight Doctor Doom single-handedly, and Ben helped a little, and Silver Surfer defeated Galactus all on his own. So it wasn't because they worked as a team, it was because all four of their powers were readily available, and there's no reason this should really have taught them any kind of lesson. And secondly, Sue very nearly died, and this is really important. She had a spear through her chest, and had Silver Surfer not magic-touched her, she would have been a goner. When she's revived, she gets up, is suddenly good-humored and perky, and conveniently decides to change her whole outlook on life. Now, I would figure a near-death experience would do the exact opposite of this. Wouldn't that be more likely to solidify your opinion that fighting crime and stopping global catastrophes isn't the kind of lifestyle you want to raise a family in? Did I miss something here? I've saved Johnny for last because he has the one arc I really do like, though it ultimately doesn't go anywhere by the end. He becomes the most human and sympathetic character in the film to me because his character arc from the first movie is furthered here and goes to a very logical place. 
He looks at Reed and Sue, and he looks at Ben and Alicia, and realizes that if he keeps living the carefree, throw-caution-to-the-wind kind of life, he's always going to be alone. This is illustrated well when he hits on a girl in the military for the first time, and she actually isn't interested in him. She spells out all of his flaws for him, that he's irresponsible and nearly narcissistic, and he begins to realize that he might actually want to settle down with someone someday. And there's a nice scene between Johnny and Ben where he tells Ben that he's afraid of being alone, and Ben says, You got me, pal. That's a moment where the movie slows down and the people feel like real people, and I wish there were more of those. Sadly, Johnny, like Reed and Sue, is sent back to the status quo at the end of the movie. He apparently has gotten the military girl to change her mind about him because they attend Reed and Sue's last attempt at getting married together. When Sue throws the bouquet, Johnny sets it on fire to make sure his new girlfriend doesn't catch it. Again, it's supposed to be funny. But I can't help but extrapolate the implications on his character arc, because this means he's gone back on all the soul-searching he did earlier in the film. This seems to symbolize his denial. He thought about maturing and growing as a person, but nah, the fans wouldn't like that very much, so he can't learn anything. He'd better go back to being immature at the end. Look, people grow, people evolve. Just because he decides to be more responsible doesn't mean he has to be a completely different person. People want their heroes to want to better themselves. It's what makes them good role models. If we think too much about it, this seems to imply that Johnny was just fine the way he was. While I didn't care for his characterization last time, Dr. Doom at least had a reason to be in the last movie. He proves to be completely pointless this time around. His resurrection is entirely contrived. Because the server's cosmic energy is similar to the cosmic rays that gave Doom and the Four their powers, Silver Surfer just passing overhead is enough to revive him, even though the Surfer had to touch the Human Torch to affect him in any way. This completely heals all of his scars, but he still has his lightning powers, which begs the question as to why he still feels the need to wear a mask. Dr. Doom serves to do the typical thing of making the military out to be entirely incompetent and idiotic. Hey, General, what do you think is going to happen to you if you're stupid enough to trust Dr. Doom after what he did in the last movie? Oh, that's what happens. And his motivations for wanting Silver Surfer's board are non-existent. There's just no explanation. Despite Reed's warnings that the board is what's drawing Galactus to Earth, he finds a way to bind the board and its powers to himself and uses it to fly around menacingly. Does he want to rule the world and just hopes Galactus won't show up? Does he not care about the world and just wants revenge on the four before Earth is destroyed? I have no idea what he's doing or why he's doing it, and it seems like he's only here because it's a Fantastic Four movie and Doctor Doom is expected. There was a good opportunity to see him in his role as ruler of Latveria here, but no such luck. And now that I've gotten all the important stuff out of the way, I do want to address Galactus and why it doesn't work for me. Yes, as a fan, I would have liked to have seen him in all his awesome purple, disproportionate head glory. I don't like the reasons behind his being a giant cloud. The producers felt Galactus looked too silly to be brought to screen, and I say that's a cop-out. This movie is entirely too silly as it is. The whole thing is played up for laughs. Look, I realize the material is hokey to begin with. That's the charm of the Fantastic Four as a book. It's way out there science fiction, and it's fun because the audience realizes it's silly while the characters involved play everything straight. But for the purposes of the film, I don't understand why Galactus couldn't at least have been given a personality and a voice. He wouldn't have had to speak very often, but it's kind of awkward that Silver Surfer keeps referring to him as he, but we never hear from Galactus himself. And I would like to have, because how this version goes about his business really confounds me. 
Why would you put the power cosmic in a single object and give it to your herald? Wouldn't you be worried that it could get separated and then someone else would have the power, which happens in the film? And how exactly does the surfer destroy Galactus at the end? In the comics, the surfer is given only a small portion of the power cosmic, which makes him super powerful, but nothing like as powerful as Galactus. Here, he seems to just get the gumption to blow up Galactus, flies up inside the giant cloud, and destroys him. And I guess we're supposed to think that the vague red, purplish, kind of Galactus-shaped thing inside is really Galactus, and he's just, you know, in the cloud. This is extremely lazy, and I can't imagine anyone involved really thought very long and hard about it. Because besides the fact that it makes Galactus look like a total moron, if the surfer could do this, why didn't he try it before? Was he just unsure whether it would work and feared it would, you know, get his planet killed? And once again, if that's the case, I don't buy that Sue Storm would be enough to make the server risk all of this. For viewers who have never been introduced to this material, I could imagine this being a more enjoyable experience. For someone just finding out about Silver Surfer, I could see why his backstory about his wife and his tragic existence might be enough to carry the movie. But for me, concept doesn't trump execution. If it did, having the background with Victor and Nora Freeze would have been enough to save Batman and Robin. I was surprised on this viewing to find I didn't enjoy it as well as the first movie, and I've thought for a long time that this was actually superior to the original. That's probably just because a plot was attempted, but while lacking a story, the first film had a better grasp of its characters and their motivations. This film puts its story in the background and has no handle on its characterizations. And so I find myself having to give Rise of the Silver Surfer the below average of 1.5 out of 4. Bye.